gorgeous Georgian goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Ghost reporting for duty here on a Monday morning. Excited to talk some mixed martial arts with you for the next hour or so. We got a big card to discuss. It was UFC on ESPN 39. Vegas back at the Apex. We'll talk about that from top to bottom. And, of course, we'll talk about the latest news in mixed martial arts. So, back to, back to the grind after a fun international fight week. There was a little bit of catching up post-International Fight Week, and then kind of things settled down a little bit more this past weekend. You know, in reality goes, Fight Week was fun. We did do a lot. But when we were talking the other day, and we were talking about how we used to do two shows a day, two hours in the morning, two hours on at night, on top of all of the activities like your Hall of Fames and the Expo and Radio Row, and still hanging out with Junkie Nation, <laughs> that was that tore that tore us up. Yeah, you know what I was thinking about that was we had Max back then, and. I never realized how good of a dog he was in the sense of he never peed or pooed in the house, but we could kind of like leave him for a good amount of time. He wouldn't destroy anything. He had full reign of the whole house. And uh, yeah, we'd come home. We'd just go out and pee and we'd feed him. That was, that was almost, he made it an easy deal, didn't he? Yeah. I made a couple of appearances at, at the junkie gathering, but, yeah, he could be downstairs or upstairs, right? Right. He only tore up, like, if he went into the bathroom and he saw toilet paper, he would massacre that uh, pa- paper, you know, like a napkin or something like that. But pretty much once he settled in and got used to it all, he would leave it alone. I've noticed with Yogi, like, he's constantly exploring, and anything is... Anything is fair game. You know what I mean? Like, if you were to leave him, oof, it would be like a tornado hit. <laughs> we would have to really, really uh, put our renter's, poli- renter's insurance policy in play. Yeah. And just blame, but, it on uh, some, uh, blame it on some kids. It has been, uh, it was different, yeah. But I'm glad that we had kind of like a little bit of a, a week of recovery and and now back at it. Yeah. What did they used to say on Scooby-Doo? Uh, I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you crazy kids or meddling mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. Of course, I'm joking. I wouldn't just make that up. You have to, like, cover all your bases nowadays when you say that. Hey, you know, you shouldn't make fun of it. You should, that, That's fraud if you were to do that. It, it really is true. I'm not trying to be Tony Kelly over here uh, with the cancel culture, but I have noticed that <laughs> you just have to like uh, be a little bit more on your toes with what you say and 
that's one th- that's one thing I like about when I do tune into comedians. They just go at it, you know, and I think at the end of it all, you just know you're tuning into a comedian. So you, you can just listen to a whole fabricated story or or whatever, because they have that little immunity. Well, shut the shut the hell up. I'm a comedian, man. We were joking. Of course yeah. I would never do that. You know, of course, I would never take a 17 year old who's turning 18 in three hours. But roll the, you know, like they Man, they trudge that line. They cross the line. Of course, some of those that that actual scenario I just told you about, some have gotten in trouble with that. I think you know who I'm talking about. But uh, but for the most part, like you know, that that's one thing I can appreciate about their forum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things are different now for sure. Gotta watch everything you say. I couldn't believe it. I'm only mentioning this because he's related to MMA. But Brendan Schaub, he's over in the comedy world. Holy cow! I didn't realize how how much of a controversial figure he's become over there. He's kind of got himself in a mess. I don't know if anybody follows Brendan Schaub. Still successful podcaster, and you know, once he was done with MMA, he went into podcasting and he did well. You got to tip your hat. You know, he created a, a couple of different podcasts. He worked for Showtime, so you know, he dabbled with hosting and and things like that. And but. In that process, he also now put his toe into comedy, done a couple comedy specials. I watched the first one. I didn't even know he had a second one, some gringo and poppy or something. I didn't even know about that. I didn't know about that. He used to blog for our website when he was on the reality show. So we've interviewed him a lot of times, and that's why I guess I, I, I I, I wouldn't say I cheered for him, but I was always in his corner. And... And yes, I, I know he's done and said some douchey stuff, but at the same time, who hasn't? And yes, I know he's been ushered to the front of the door because of his friendship with Joe Robin, but who wouldn't take advantage of that? You know, Showtime goes, hey, we want to do a special with you. Do you tell him? Well, you know, most of the time, comedians pay their dues for 10, 20 years. I can't be doing that. No, you just go, yeah, sure, you know? And it wasn't a 10 out of 10, and so he took the heat from that. But he did another one. I didn't even know about it. But anyway, what I'm getting at is he just got in some other mess. And if you want to go find out about it, Google his name. If you are if you even know who Brendan Schaub is, he's been gone for 10 years. So there might be fans that just – there's fans goes that just started in this sport two, three years ago during the pandemic. They don't know nothing about that. Yeah, they don't know nothing about Pride. None of the like, names like Vanderlei Silva. I mean, it's nothing against them. It yeah. just shows like how far our sport has come around now. Exactly. So anyway, I guess that's why I was bringing all that stuff up because I guess I spent the weekend just, you know, catching up a little bit, seeing how everyone's what everyone's up to. Some of my favorite comedians, you know, one of the ones that that uh, also started early was Jay Moore and he kind of fell off. I remember I would listen to Jay Moore and then Tom Segura, Burt Kreischer. And of course, Rogan was always there. Joey Diaz. Um, and then there's just a few others that kind of, you know, broke off and they started their own things. And then there's new ones. And that Australian guy, Jim Jeffries, Jeffries, you know, he's always cracked me up. And then I just forgot about him. Like, do you ever just forget about someone and not follow him for a year? That was me with Jim Jeffries. And I think he's hilarious, but I think too many things get presented. All also want us to do is tap me on the shoulder and go, Hey, 
you seen uh Succession on HBO and you just go, no, nah, no, nah, let me check it out. And then so you start watching that and you forget about one thing, you know, and I guess maybe this one for me was just Jim Jeffries. I don't know. And then goes will go, the Grand Prix, Simon Head told, all right, let me watch a little bit of that. And so you're just finishing up succession. You watch the Grand Prix a little bit when you get a chance. And now you all of a sudden you're maybe not watching as many Dodger games or Vegas Golden Knight because you, know, you can't be everywhere and you still got to do your MMA. You still got to do your homework, your work and things like that. But I, I will admit there's the probably again, the availability and the, so many shows, Mayans, the shy or whatever, everything we always talk about and go back and forth. Narcos dropped again. Fucking Ted Lasso. There goes that LFA. Remember goes, we were kind of religious about LFA. Mm-hmm. on access tv on friday nights and then we went from the card to just the co-main and the main because it usually resulted in someone getting promoted to the ufc well now dana white contender series gave us that Dana White, i, I used to say this about five years ago dana white contender series smashed a lot of those other small shows i feel bad for some of those small shows luckily those small shows are on ufc fight pass because there's a lot of people that watch a lot of this and then you go what's the shy what's ted lasso What's hockey? What's baseball? They're just strictly combat sports. They're just strictly MMA. But um, but you know, I don't know. There's there's something for everybody. <laughs> well, I th- I think what it did in in our sport, the effect that Dana White's Contender Series had was it forced organizations like Bellator to sign people out of college, you know, wrestlers, that sort of group. Where I think PFL has done the opposite strategy. They've just said, look. When you're kind of done with them over there, send them over here, right? Um, because now with Dana White's Contender Series, they're they're the ones that are getting those prospects off of those shows. So they've had a big effect, I think, on the market. Yeah, no doubt. Anyway, all right. Um, this weekend we had the UFC back at the Apex here in Las Vegas. It was called UFC on ESPN 39. The hashtag was UFC Vegas 58, and then it's also filed as UFC on ESPN, Dos Anjos versus Fiziev. I'm always joking about all these different names that it has. Uh, the main event was Rafael Fiziev against Rafael Dos Anjos. It ended in the fifth round. It was a KO via punches. I thought it was an early stoppage, and guess what goes? Like, I'm not saying it changes the result. I had a feeling it was 3-1 going into round five, and I thought Fizia was pitching a shutout through round four, but Dos Anjos came back in round four, and he won it. But I also said, well, nice nice of you to, you know, step it up a little bit, Dos Anjos. I mean, he was just getting shut down. It's not like he, he was dogging it, right? His takedowns weren't there. Fizia was doing a good job of, of, of uh, stuffing those, and Fizia... I thought lack of experience and maybe cardio was two check marks that were going to go against them. Basically, I guess there would be no check marks there. And I was wrong. I hadn't seen Viziev go, you know, into those rounds. And I have um, Dos Anjos many times. Experience, you just don't know until it happens. But in round four, again, Dos Anjos won. And I'm thinking, is it going to be enough? He's only got five minutes. But let's see. And I didn't even know that he had broken Fiziev's nose. So 
Dos Anjos feels good about it going into the fifth, and he came out. Here's, I think, what the difference was, goes because there was an eight-year gap in age. I think it was like 37 and 29. Fiziev did a good job of recovering after every round. So even though the the energy meter was going down, I think he, you know, because he was young and in such great shape, when he would come out of the round, he would come out firing. He was sharp again and fast. And then again, he would, you know, about a minute in, he would really, really, really start to drop or whatever. So his his ability to recover uh, was amazing. And I think that's where Dos Anjos might have made his mistake was just not at least being a little more cautious early on in every round, especially the fifth. And Fiziev came in, got him. And here's why I thought it was an early stoppage. I happen to be just doing some ranking research and stuff last night. And somehow I come across DC and John Jones, two in Anaheim. You and I were there. When John Jones kicks him in the head, DC kind of leans into it. And then DC kind of staggers. John Jones hits him again. He falls against the fence. He comes in with some ground and pound. And our good friend John McCarthy, he's refing that match. Goes, watch how much John Jones puts on him in terms of ground and pound. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I almost thought, wow, he's kind of letting it go. You know, I mean, I wouldn't say, well, hey, stop it. I wasn't saying that, you know, but I was like, wow, like that's kind of, I think, what I have come to expect is that type of um, leash, you know, that that the referees give the fighters especially in these main events, the, the, the ones that have so much at stake. Because guess what? Right now we're going to talk about Fiziev and wh- now all of a sudden how he throws his name into the hat for the UFC vacant title in the lightweight division and how Rafael Los Angeles, we're going to probably say, geez, is that the end? What do you think? How many fights left? Could he have retired? Should he with the gloves? It's two different narratives. I think for the longest time, and, and now it's proven, obviously, but <clears throat> John McCarthy's the type of guy that, when he's done refereeing or judging, um, he's probably on MMA Junkie on some of these big websites because he loves mixed martial arts, right? So I think he understands the gravitude of, of what's going on in a main event, what it could do for other fighters. In a fight like John Jones and Daniel Cormier, there's so much on the line, right? And I know people are going to say, you got to treat every fight the same. Look, I get why you say it, but it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in other sports as well. So I can understand why he would let something go like that longer. In this fight, I felt like it was a, a, a early stoppage. I was going to say short stoppage. Early stoppage. But when I watched the replay, I understand why he did what he did. But I still think he could have let it go a little bit longer. It wasn't the worst thing in the world. I don't think nobody was flipping over tables or anything like that. Um, I think you just accept it. But uh, but but I do understand why he did that. Yeah, and Dos Anjos has accepted it. Now, I bet you he'll watch a replay and maybe he might have a, a second opinion. But when he was being interviewed, he said, Fiziev got me, congratulated him. He's always been pretty classy. I got to give it up to Dos Anjos in that regard. He's a gangster, pre-fight. He'll get in your face. He won't back down. And, you know, he might not have the sharpest tongue and, and go tit for tat in terms of smack talk. Like when Connor mentioned Red Panty Night, he was talking to Dos Anjos. Dos Anjos was his opponent at that time. And then Dos Anjos got hurt and Nate Diaz stepped in. 
So Dos Anjos wasn't going to sit there and, and, and fire back, you know, his comeback on Red Penny. I think he was laughing, to tell you the truth. The whole stage was laughing. But anyway, um, when he watches it back, he might have a different opinion. And yeah, man, John, I remember throwing this big elbow that barely missed DC that I think would have like given him one of those really nasty scars like an Eve Edwards had he hit it, but he missed. DC kind of had his hands up, so then he went under the armpit, a couple punches, and then DC was so covered up that I think John just said, okay, I've given you enough of everything. Now you're just not intelligently defending yourself, and he stopped it, and everybody was good with it, and I feel like that's that's where my my um, my leash is, my level of acceptance, my tolerance, anything you want to call it of how a finish should be, that's it for me. DC versus Jones 2, mm-hmm. and you know, so in this fight, when Viziev does hit him, uh, yeah, of course, Sanjos has that like look, you know, especially when we're watching it in slow motion. When you're watching it in slow motion, it's hard to tell someone, look at his eyes, look at his eyes, because everything's in slow motion. Remember, Joe Rogan said, I think Joe Rogan one time said, look, it's been five seconds and he hasn't reacted or something like that. And everybody's like, dude, it's in slow motion. But in fast motion, he hit him. And yeah, everyone's going to have that look, that glass Joe look where your jaws twisting one way, spits coming out mouthpiece might even jar itself but watch his left hand he's putting it down because he knows he's he wants to put his hand down to fall so he's not completely shut off where all of a sudden he goes straight back or anything like that like a like a trust fall no he's kind of putting his hand down he kind of looks back he puts his hand down then when he falls down he's got both arms up which tells him i'm in trouble i need to cover up and he does it during the first punch that Fiziev throws and even the second punch. And then Mark Smith comes in. That was the problem was I thought uh, Dos Anjos was going, yeah, I'm fucked up. But um, give me a chance to get out of this, you know, and, and he didn't get that chance. I don't know if he grabs on to Fiziev. A lot of times they'll go for a single or wrap their arms around their waist or just keep blocking and blocking you know, turtle up. I don't know. We, we don't know where the fight goes. And more than likely, 95% of the time, Fiziev's just going to finish him. And he's either going to be completely out or it's going to be, again, like Jones and DC part two. Who knows? But I think that's what everybody was saying. And that's why I wanted to repeat it here on the show because we kind of did this with some of our patrons on our other show. Yeah. And it's, you know, you're right. It's not every time, right? I mean, if you look at Check Congo and Pat Berry, like things do happen where fighters turn things around in those situations. Um, I don't think this one in particular probably would have went that way, but uh, it does change a lot of things for a lot of fighters. I think what this this weekend taught us a little bit here in this main event is RDA is always going to be a tough out, okay? Always, always, always. But he did seem to s- slow down a little bit when he couldn't get his takedown. I think that really, really did affect him and and his game plan. So I don't know what you do with him going forward. I think he's a bad matchup for certain fighters, but uh, as far as him putting together streaks or anything like that, I think that time has passed, and now we kind of know what we have with RDA for the remainder of his career. Yeah, he's 37 years of age. He had a two-fight win streak. This would have been three after coming down from welterweight to lightweight. 
So it was almost like he was on that Bisping run. Remember Bisping's run where he had four fights? He won them all. One was that controversial one against Anderson Silva. And then either he took a loss or he was just floating out there because he wasn't there yet. And then he got the call when Luke Rockhold fell. Sorry, when Chris Weidman fell out of the Luke Rockhold um, rematch. I think on three weeks notice, he accepted. Then he got the knockout over Luke Rockhold. We'll always point to guys like him or Glover Teixeira. Glover Teixeira was different because Glover won a bunch of fights at a late stage in his career. He was even the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was even the the sub at, at one of the fights. Even maybe when Jones still had the title, I forget what I forget what happened. But so he he kind of paid his dues in a different way, and then got the proper call and won the title at 40 or 41, 42. Bisping was older, had a streak, so he warranted that call. It wasn't like they pegged him out of nowhere, and then he rose to the occasion on at the right moment, you know, so well-deserved. And so RDA, he was kind of more on a Bisping-ish rush, a uh, run. So he hadn't really eliminated everyone else like like Glover Teixeira. And now what he can do is if he wins his next one, we'll all be going, he's won three of his last four, and he's a former champ. But it's got to be a good fighter. However, the UFC might think, mm, no, we're going to put you up against a young cat like Fiziev. So now Fiziev, everybody's talking about Fiziev at the water cooler. Right, but now his name makes sense because they go, you know, the guy that beat RDA. But last Friday, if you go, RDA is fighting Fiziev, he would go, who the fuck's Fiziev? Right. Yeah. No, but Fiziev totally makes sense now going forward. Like that was such a. If you're a matchmaker, come on, man, you can't tell me that you don't plan things like that. You don't look at this as a business. That worked out perfect. You know, he he made a bigger name off of RDA and he's going to move forward and he's going to get even a bigger name. Mm-hmm. But I like this kid. Like I liked them going in. I just thought maybe RDA, I think I might've picked RDA. I just thought there's certain areas that he's going to test them. And is he passed the test? Um, is he ready for a title shot? Probably not. Probably a little bit more work to be done, but he definitely shows potential to be one of those guys. That's going to give people at the top problems. Yeah. He's sharp. I always knew his striking was pretty sharp. He's the guy, folks, if you'll recall, one week ago, kind of got into a Twitter spat with Conor McGregor about about kicks. And, you know, he invited him to train in Thailand. He trains with Peter Yan in Thailand. Can't remember if it's Tiger Muay Thai or one of those popular gyms. And he said, come on down here and I'll show you how to properly throw. What was it? The crescent kick or the axe kick? They were talking about a specific kick. And, uh, and and so yeah, so I mean, it, okay, it wasn't like he was an unknown, but hardcores knew who Fiziev was on Friday this morning. Casuals and hardcores know who he is. And yes, you can involve him in the talks for a title when you got your chart up there at the UFC and they got the top guys. It's vacant at the top. What do we do? Hey man, Chandler says he'll fight Makashev if Charlie Olives wants to fight Connor. You know, that's an option. But now we got Fiziev. What about, what about Fiziev, you know? And Poirier and Gagey, they've had their title shots, but they're big names, so they kind of always hover around. And then there's Benil Dariush, who now, when I looked up some of the recent articles and even the Twitter handle of his manager, Ali Abdelaziz, 
it sounds like Darius, you can book him. Like he's still finishing the recovery on that broken fibula, but you can start to say by October, he's going to be ready. Like he's, he's towards the end of that rehab and he can start a training camp. So I wanted to ask you goes, since you won't be on this week's spinning back click. And I think this topic might come up. Who are the two leading candidates? If you're trying to fill the, 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 uh, you know, you want to come up with a pairing for the vacant title in the, in the lightweight division for the vacant title. If you want to, well, I kind of like that outline because it, it really does. Like everything that's happening with UFC saying the stuff that comes out of Dana White's mouth, the stuff that comes out of Charlie Oliver's mouth, and the stuff that comes out of Conor McGregor's mouth, they all seem to match up. I actually think somehow, some way, they might try and put that thing together. And then if you do that, then yeah, like I think it was, I think you said it, it was Ali Abdelaziz, right? That, that said, put Benil and, and Makashev together, which. I thought it was kind of strange that they would do something like that. I don't know that they do that, man. I just don't know that that fight has that type of pop. Um, it kind of makes sense if that's what you're left over with. But the UFC's just been always like, they've always looked for the bigger names. So I, I don't know if something like that happens. But really, if you look at the guys that are below, you just can't match them up. Like they, they've just, they either just had title shots or, you know, like, I, I don't know. I could see Michael Chandler slipping in there, though. I really do. I think Dana White likes him a lot. Um, he's a guy that's just constantly there saying, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, whatever it is. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think a lot of it does depend on Benil Dariush to his timetable. Um, but even then, like, when the guy's healthy, he kind of gets disrespected. So I can't imagine what they think of him when he's hurt. What if I were to ask it like this? Who's the most deserving pairing to fight for the vacant UFC lightweight title? If you take Charlie Olives out of the equation or if you leave him in it? No, just who are the two most deserving? Oh, well, then it's Charlie Olives and Makashev. Okay. And, but who is the biggest business lightweight fight? Ching ching, pay-per-views. No, it's Charlie Olives and, and Conor McGregor. Yeah. Wait, you say you do could it, it be Michael Chandler and Conor McGregor? That kick was pretty epic. Yeah, but what do you do with Charlie Olives, though? How do you sell that one? Well, I, you know, they, they always find a way. And recently, Charlie Olives has been like, hey, pay me. You got to pay me. I think he wants a bump in pay. And, you know, the UFC, if they're not ready to give you a bump, they'll find a way to just go, he wasn't ready. He didn't, he didn't want to. We had a fight booking in October. And he we offered him a contract. He didn't accept. So it's a big, mm -hmm. big generic explanation of why he's not on the card. But specifically, it's. The UFC just didn't want to add a zero to his paycheck, I guess. And so that was their way of teaching him a lesson. He's not champ, so technically you could get away with something like that. Yeah. Well, I, I thought what Chandler did was brilliant. He said, hey, look, Chuck Yalas, man. Go chase that big fight, Conor McGregor. All right, that's that's fun. That's cute. Cha-ching for you. I'll go fight Islam Makashev. I love the way he said that because he's he almost made it sound like you, all you lightweights are pussies. I'm gonna fight the boogeyman that no one wants to fight. Um, that Benil's never said that. Benil will fight anyone. It's just that he's had that injury. And, you know, Benil hasn't fought since June of 2021. So that's how long he's been out. And I think he's on a seven-fight win streak. So he's very, very deserving. But I, I like what Chandler did. 
I hope Charlie Olive's re- see. Here's the thing, man. I would want to fight Conor McGregor. It is a big fight, but does he not realize he's not champ? He's not going to get those pay per view points. You know what I mean? So yeah, they might go. All right, dude, a million flat because because you are you got fucked in Anaheim or sorry in Arizona. You know, you are kind of the guy that's on a 10-fight streak. You were the former champ. It shouldn't have happened that way. The scale was a mistake, blah, blah, blah. We'll give you a million flat, but we just can't give you the pay-per-view points. Like, a lot of those guys, only a few guys have been able to negotiate pay-per-view points and not being champ. Very few. I don't know if Charlie Olives, I keep going back and forth. Chucky Olives, Charlie Olives, Dan Tom's in my head. I think Chucky Olives is the original one. Uh, Chucky Olives, uh, he, I don't think he would get that. That's the problem. So, I've always, I think I've told this to Chandler and, well, no, I've just said this to every lightweight. Become the champion and all that big money will come your way one way or another. If you kind of deviate and start chasing big fights, you can still make money. Like Nate Diaz has proven that. But it usually doesn't work for everyone. You know, the, the ones that are in those Lambos and private jets and stuff like that usually have a nice run of being champ with title defenses. And that, that that's when your money, your money changes, your, your life changes. Yeah. I mean, definitely that's the best case scenario, but with Conor McGregor, like you have to understand that guy has so many lives. I would think that maybe it is the time where you could take a chance like that. But if he gets absolutely smoked by whoever he fights next, especially after what happened with Dustin Poirier, maybe your dollar signs go down a little bit. I think people still want to tune in to see him no matter what. But, uh, yeah, that, I don't know. That one's tough. I, I don't know. I, I hear what you're saying. I hear both sides of it. But the the situation that that Charles Oliveira is in right now, that would be a tough little gamble to play with. I would just try and negotiate those points. I mean, it's not like it hasn't been done. It has. You have a very capable manager. Uh, but, yeah, if you don't get them, then I wouldn't take it. Okay, so let's say he fights Conor McGregor and he negotiates a pretty decent payday or whatever. He's still not champ. If he wins that fight, I mean, unless that fight is for the title, then I I back off, you know, because then at least he would beat Conor McGregor in the process of winning the title. And if he negotiated some pay-per-view points, okay, cool. I guess I get that. But I don't see. Here's the thing, man. I firmly believe McGregor's not coming back till 2023. Yeah. Dana White's let it slip a few times, but I think a few, I think some people think, oh, no, man, he'll be ready in October, Abu Dhabi, blah, 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 maybe the New York card. I don't see it. This guy's partying. He had a couple nice sessions at SBG. I saw it on Instagram, but we, well, he, I think he just landed in Ibiza overnight. He's worried about these, the Lamborghini yacht and the Corvette yacht and the, this yacht. He's all into that whole yachting world and Grand Prix and just the Euro life, you know? I don't see a serious athlete right now that's anywhere near ready. And to me, it more than likely has to do with that injury still isn't 100%. And so that's why there's a delay. I don't know if he hits the rehab like he should. Who knows? But I don't even see him until 2023. And I see the title fight happening in Abu Dhabi and in somehow involving Makashev. Even so, if you are, even if you are 100%, 
fighters still have to deal with, am I 100%? Is the doctor right? Like that type of injury, dude, that's some scary shit. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's going to take way longer than that. I, I think 2023, I would even say like a couple months into it. Exactly. And remember, I think he likes to strategically plan fighting in January or February and get the three fights. He wants to get on that Forbes list. I'm telling you, he's obsessed with being super rich and, you know, being number one athlete on the Forbes list and also, uh, you know, only fighting for the title. I, you know, that guy power, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Anyway, back to what I was saying. Chandler is brilliant in the sense that if he can somehow finagle his way, if Charlie Alachuck, y'all, sorry, plays too much of a hardball, he says, give me Makashev for the vacant title. If you win and you just got rid of what's being hailed as the next Habib and he's in the back, back view, uh, rear view mirror, then from there on, now he'll be world champion and he can defend against Conor McGregor. Charles Oliveira, guys who he's definitely not as scared of as as Islam Makhachev. Islam Makhachev is way more formidable with his dominant game. Charlie Alves has been beaten. Fucking hey, Chucky Alves has been beaten. Uh, Conor McGregor has been beaten. Islam Makhachev has only been beaten once, if I'm not mistaken, years ago. But for the most part, he just pounds guys, man. He wins rounds. So I think if, if Chandler's probably thinking, I can get myself in the title fight and I win this, and now I beat this guy. Now, from then on, the opposition may not be as formidable. No disrespect to all of them, but Islam Makashev's stats tell us that. Mm -hmm. Then now I can have a nice little reign because, you know, Chandler's also up there in age. I think he'd be happy with, like, three title defenses and sailing off into the sunset, especially if one of them is McGregor. What if Oliveira takes a McGregor fight and for some reason McGregor doesn't make it to the fight? Imagine how dumb he'd feel at that point. No pay-per-view points. No title fight, no paycheck. I don't know, dude. That's a mess to be in. Yeah. Well, one thing we've done is we've talked the topic till we're blue in the face. And Fizzy F, we, bar we barely even mentioned him. I don't think he'll be one of the two that fights for the vacant title. But now what he is is he's kind of become maybe a semifinalist or a quarterfinalist because he really, really looked good against a former champion who's ranked high. So congratulations to Rafael Fiziev. Uh, that was an amazing performance. And I thought he also had a nice, you know, a nice look. He had his hat and he just played the part. And then, of course, he, he keeps tying himself to Rafael Nadal. <laughs> um, I didn't really look deep into that story as to why he kept mentioning his name. I guess he just wants to be the best Raphael athlete out there maybe or something. Did, did, did you happen to look into this? That's, I mean, no, that's what makes sense to me. It's a, it's a great win for him, but I bet you if he goes back and he watches it, he's going to realize he's probably not ready for a title fight. I think he just needs a little bit more work. And, and you know, we're all supposed to be our own, our most harshest critics. And I think if he goes back and he watches it, he's going to go maybe one more. Maybe even one after that, but uh, yeah, he, he needs to do something. Well, it's never too late, and let me tell you something. He should always keep improving his skills, but I was blown away when Charles Oliveira was picking guys up and putting them on their back 
versus in the old days where he would get taken down. And what would he do? Grab your neck, flop back, pull guard, try and guillotine you, and then take some damage or whatever. And now Charlie Olives worked on that wrestling. He was taking you down. He was the guy on top. Uh, there's some athletes that have made some amazing transformations over the years. You know what I mean? But yeah. anyhow, um, uh oh, the dog, the dog's awake. Can you hear him? Yeah. Yeah, that's our little dog. He's uh he gets uh, a little nervous when you leave him alone, but he should stop soon. Yeah, we'll try and power through it. All right, Kyle Bohio defeated Armin Petrosian. This was a unanimous decision, and Bohio was pretty much dominant in rounds one and two. I wasn't sure he won round three, but you know, Petrosian's a a fun striker to watch, but Bohio just suffocated him with his ground game. And Bohio is almost reminding me a little bit about Paulo Costa, except he's getting it down, get, getting the work done more with the ground, whereas Paulo Costa gets the work done with the feet. But, you know, Brazilian dude, good tan, speaks a little bit of English, kind of just reminds me of where Paulo was like five years ago. <laughs> that's actually, that's pretty accurate. Uh, good fighter. Yeah, good fight. I mean, good performance um but when we always say this on our show you got to pick up that english as fast as you can and i would say the same thing if the sport was you know in another country and you're a guy that speaks english like you look at a guy like josh barnett and pride when he would say things in japanese man that crowd would just gravitate to him they would remember him more so yeah i mean you always want to do that as an athlete but everything else is is going in a good direction it's about Junior DeSantos, early Junior DeSantos level. Um, but, you know, Joe, Jose Aldo and Charles Lovar do not speak a, speak, a, speak, speak a lick of English, you know. And they got some popularity, but I can only imagine how much they would ooze in charisma if they were able to communicate in English. Like Pelé, man. Pelé even learned how to speak yeah. English and Spanish. You know, and that guy was like a worldwide phenomenon. But it's too late for the other guys, I think. They're just not interested in it, and that's fine. It's tough to, to say, like, because they don't have that many fights in their under their belts. Like, I want to say he has, like, 13 fights or 11 fights or some shit like that. And his opponent is good. Petrosian's good. But, you know, even he only, I think, had, like, 10 fights or mm -hmm. something below that or something. So it's kind of – you just have to, like, if you're a hardcore fan, if you've been around the sport – Sometimes you just watch a fighter and you know whether they have it or not. And this guy shows glimpse, glimpses that he could be a, a pretty decent fighter. So um, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I enjoyed it. Syed Nurmagomedov defeated Douglas Silva D'Andrage. Rarely do we say that a Nurmagomedov lost. This is uh -huh. Syed Nurmagomedov, the one that likes to stand and kickbox more than how we see the other Namagamadoffs attack on the ground. Uh, he can defend himself, you know, from getting taken down, and he can initiate a takedown as well, but he, he's tall and lanky and likes to kickbox mostly. But uh, he won. But Douglas Silva D'Andrage did not go away, man. Even up until the third round, he was, you know, he was pretty formidable in his attacks. So it was a really, really good test for both guys, I thought. Um, but yeah, the winner was Said Namaka Madoff, and you know, 
that bantamweight division, I'm telling you, man, it is just stacked with talent. Throw this guy in the in that mix, 16 and two overall. He's got a three fight win streak going on. He's got uh, you know, he he defeated Stamen earlier this year, and aside from one loss in the UFC, his UFC record is now five and one. So sixteen and two overall, and five and one in in the UFC. Yeah, you know this fight. I probably should have watched it a little bit closer because I felt like it was a little bit closer. Um, because there were moments, you know, DeAndre had moments where he would he would test them, but it just wasn't enough. You know, Nurmagomedov would do enough to win rounds. But I thought it was a lot closer than some people would were talking about. But it was a fun fight. I think he's he's not related to Habib, but I think his family knows Habib. Like they kind of grew up together or some shit like that. But yeah, yeah he's not what you would expect. Like, you know, just that wrestler. Like he's a little different, but he's fun. Yeah, I've lost track of um some of these, like there's a, a brother or a cousin or this or that, uh a brother in in the fact that they they all call themselves brothers. So, <laughs> but there was an interesting stat that like, if your last name contains um, Magomedov in the UFC, they're like, they're like hidden at 90% win. Wow. So all the Magomedovs, and I'm not sure, cause I know there's a Magomedov in Bellator as well, but yeah. they, they appear to be pretty safe bets. These Nurmagomedovs. Um, and then I found out through Bilal Muhammad, who tweeted, Magomedov means Muhammad. He goes, so throw me in there. And I think I think he's like 21 and 3. So he wouldn't hurt that percentage. That's funny. Yeah. Benil Dari, sorry. Um, Bilal Muhammad had a birthday this weekend. And I, I tweeted, I think I, I may have posted on, it was Ali Abdelaziz's manager who said it. Everyone loves Bilal Muhammad. I, I've never heard anyone say a bad word about Bilal Muhammad. He's actually just grown on everybody. For one, he's getting the job done as a fighter. And two, he does really well on as an analyst on the desk. He's in the podcast world. And then he's a funny social media guy. He kind of just gets it. I don't know if, if that makes sense as an explanation. He just gets it. Like, if you're, if you're just a regular dude... Uh, who doesn't really throw fits or anything, like, just likes to have fun in life, you're going to like him because he, he goes with the flow. I think if he was in the spot where Izzy was last week, where people were booing and shining the lights and giving him a hard time, Bilal would have found a way to roll with it, and we would already be past it. Yeah. You know what I mean? He just would have been like, hey, what's going on here? You know, like, they have sufficient lighting in the – in the uh, T-Mobile, but I guess maybe the lights went dimmed out, and so the the fans wanted to help. I mean, he would just turn it into like a fun joke or something like that, and and everybody get past it. But the reason I bring it up, I'll take a little break here from the recap and the fight card. Uh, Chris Pratt, you know, he had said that what what Adesanya was selling pre-fight, he didn't deliver. Adesanya had him back with the, a quote from his own movie, you know, basically, I'm the man, you're a fan, or something like that. And then Chris Pratt apologized. So uh -huh. he said uh, to him, let's see, you're right. I'm sorry, brother. It bugs me when people criticize my work. 
having never themselves risked anything, it makes me a hypocrite to do exactly that to you. My bad. Keep on keeping champ. Now, it could be that Chris Pratt just wanted to shut it down and move on because, again, it is kind of a bad look, I think, for some of these super popular entertainers to just keep going. You know what I mean? So maybe he was just taking the high road. But, hey, man, if you paid and that's your honest opinion, it really, really isn't that big of a deal to me. And it shouldn't be to others. I've seen it to the top guys, man. And the top teams, if they're just not getting the job done, they get they they get booed. And guess what? Those players react to it the next day. A lot of times they accept it. I'm talking about the Lakers, the Dodgers, the 49ers, just a lot, a lot of the teams I followed, Manchester United. That's just the way it is, man. You gotta have thicker skin. Not every night is gonna be a highlight. Sometimes the team wins 7 nothing in football. Sometimes the team wins one nothing in baseball or hockey. And sometimes you get some... I remember the, when the New York Knicks were around, they were so defensive that some NBA playoff games went in like 73-68. You know what I mean? Like It wasn't like this whole, like it is now, three-point contest on both sides and alley-oops and, and, and things like that, flashy dunks. Sometimes it was just really, really hard defense grabbing jerseys, hard fouls, making you make points from the free throw line, things like that. You just go through these different spells, man. And, you know, there was one year in baseball where everyone was hitting it out of the park. They said the baseballs were juiced and the players were juiced. Who knows? You know, and there's other times where if you watch an Atlanta Brave game in the 1990s goes, if you got two runs on the Braves, you had a good chance to win. Because they were usually beating you with defense and pitching, and they were usually beating you two nothing, two one, one nothing. So if you got up on them a couple runs, like two or three, ooh, you had now you tested their bullpen and things like that. It, it, it it's just different, you know. And so what's funny is even Henry Cejudo started coming at Israel Adesanya. Israel Adesanya can't tell him you can't do what I've done because Henry can say not only have I done what you've done. I've done it in another weight class where you didn't get it done. Right. I've also got a gold medal in a sport. I think Izzy can fire back and say, I was a champion in kickboxing. I don't know if he was a high-level champion. I'm going to research him in kickboxing. I've seen some of his kickboxing fights, and I know he was I know he was a champion at one point. I just want to see if it was like – because, you know, we had It's Showtime, Glory, K1. So I think he was part of the Glory stable. Yeah, so he, he may be able to match him there. I was a champion in another sport, just like you were a champion in wrestling. Um, Izzy, Izzy can tell him, well, I've defended five times. You only defended two times, one in each weight class, and then you buzzed off. I've only lost once. You lost twice. So Izzy could have some you know defenses to it, but Henry would definitely hold his own, and Henry was even critical of him. And it's all because I think, I think because Izzy just can't seem to turn the page. I... I really doubt that somebody said, well, wait a minute, Chris Pratt. Isn't that how you feel when people criticize you? And then he said, you're right. I do feel that way. I'm going to go on. Like, I, I think he just probably didn't want to deal with a type of Twitter beef. Or hell, even like, what if I run into this dude and he knocks me out? Uh, to me, it seems more like that. But, uh, yeah, like, even the apology... I still don't think Israel Adesanya should even address that. Like, just stop talking about it. If you look at your resume, it's so good. 
that you really don't have to say much. Just point at that and people will shut the hell up. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly said, man. They're not always going to be home runs. Sometimes you just got to win and move on. And that's that. The win over Whitaker was amazing. The win over Gastelum was amazing. Brunson, there was a few that were just, you know. And, and honestly, I think I was even on Monday show last week, I was the one saying, you know what? I don't know why people were booing. I thought it was pretty good. I thought his performance Me was too. pretty good. It, it really wasn't so bad at all. But I think I was just more put off by his attitude because, you know, that, again, that's me. We we always talk about the the uh, Miss USA contest. Well, I like Miss Idaho, you know, and you like Miss Florida or whatever. But Jesus, they're both babes. That's why they're in this damn contest. We're just looking at different things. I like their smile. I like their eyes. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but everybody's looking at fights differently. I think I think he should just understand that. But yeah, I I didn't think it was so bad. I know Cannoneer was tough and he was he he wouldn't go away. And he also had like Viziev type of lungs where he would start to dwindle in around and then he'd come back. He was right ready to go again, you know, at the beginning of each round. He was always there present. And um anyway. And yeah, sometimes you have to put the criticism on the challenger because the challenger you could tell him, didn't you come here to take the title from him? I mean, like there was a lot of hesitancy on your end where you weren't just it can't just be looking for that power shot. At some point, you know, you have to assemble, string something together, maybe get more of the wrestling involved. I don't know. Anyway, that was like two weeks ago. I only bring it up because Pratt and Cejudo are big names. But while I was doing some ranking research, I was listening to Izzy do an interview on on his YouTube channel. And it's good. You know, he kind of busts Sean Strickland's balls a little bit. He gives a lot of praise to John Crouch. And Jared Cannonier, but he still kept saying, you guys don't know what you're looking at or whatever. And it's like, eh, I don't know. Sure, of course, there's things that you probably see when you're in the octagon that everyone will miss, including you, your coaches and teammates. Sure, I get that. But I think a lot of us have seen enough fights that we just kind of know what an entertaining fight looks like and what, an, what a non-entertaining fight looks like. That's why, you, you know... You, even the man, even the, um, I'll put it to you like this. It's the same thing Dana White and the matchmakers huddle up about at the end. Hey, which was the most exciting fight? You know, and a lot of it has to do with the fans. You know, are the, are the fans into it? Are they cheering? Uh, or are they walking out? You know, a lot of that has to do with that. Are they just all of a sudden the most knowledgeable three men on earth, Maynard, Shelby, and and White? Only they and Izzy know what, what to look at? No, they, they kind of make their decisions as well. ESPN knows what they should put on the top 10 highlights for that particular night or for that particular week. I don't remember seeing too many Izzy highlights on there. That's what it boils down to. Dude, uh, look, when you're around your friends, if you find that one cut, that stings, you hit it hard for a while, right? You crack that joke over and over and over. I think that's what Israel Adesanya is doing right now. He's allowing other people to want to chime in and take these shots. And like I said, the resume is impressive. But when you get somebody like a Henry Cejudo come out and say something like that, it's going to carry some weight. And not everybody does their research. A lot of times people just listen to what people say. And that 
that is kind of scary, you know, like when you hear when you hear your name being thrown out there as you just don't deliver on a pay-per-view. You don't want that. So I, I think Israel just needs to let this all go away. Just go away. People are going to forget about it. And people are going to remember you for what you've done and your resume. But the more you poke at it, the more you bring it up, the worse it's going to get. Yeah. He was, he's still the number two pound for pound fighter. He still has his five title defenses. He's still, what is he, 23 and one, I think, overall. I mean, all that shit is impressive, man. But even he said it himself. Alexander Volkanovsky was flat out amazing, you know, and that was the fight for him. And the fans were not walking out of that fight. You know, was Max giving a little bit more of an effort than Cannonier? Yes. Was Alex giving more of an effort than Izzy? Yes. But even that fight didn't get fight of night. It was Barbarina and Lawler. You know, it's what what do the fans react to? And sure, I guess that's where you can go, well, you guys don't know what you're watching, man, because there's intricacies and this and that and, you know, footwork and blah, blah, blah. The fans don't care. The fans are just either entertained or they're not. You know what I mean? And and this sport is definitely more geared towards striking than wrestling and, or grappling or whatever. Wrestlers have a hard time accepting that. But once the wrestlers develop hands, watch how much they love to strike. When's the last time really Michael Chandler goes for a double leg? He loves to put people really? out. There's just a recipe to what makes this sport tick. And, you know, it involves that. It's very true. Anyhow. All right. So back to this card that took place on Saturday night. Chase Sherman defeated Jared Van Der uh, This fight was entertaining for me, guys. Both guys were coming in with, like, either three or four fight losing streaks or lost three out of four or whatever. But they were really on a down. And I thought, geez, the loser of this fight might just lose their job. But they were so entertaining. Even the loser may survive uh, the cuts or whatever. And mm -hmm. here's the thing. Of the two, Vanderaal was known more as the stronger guy, meaning he can go 15. Chase Sherman always comes out with, you know, better techniques, you know, light footwork and this and that or whatever. But he starts to fade. And in this fight, he would fade, but he would always find, like, this um, – second second third wind but then he lit this guy up man he absolutely lit this guy up congrats to, to chase uh chase sherman i thought for sure it he, once once it got out of the first round it wasn't going to be his fight to win i thought the tide was churning i thought there were moments where i thought sherman was going to go down in this fight it was yeah. a good fight right it, it would be really hard to cut somebody off of this fight because it was that it was really entertaining for heavyweights Eamon Zahabi gets a win. He defeated Ricky Tercios. He probably was uh, motivated by GSP, good friend of the gym, good friend of his older brother, Faraz Zahabi. Uh, for many years, they did so many great things. He was there present, and you could there was a video of him coming in as he was warming up, so he probably found some inspiration in that. Tercios, I really enjoyed him, man, in the reality show. And in no way am I ready to give up on him, but I could tell right away he has a lot of work to do still. He is very, very active, but he's not very accurate. I'll just start with that. Yeah, he he was having trouble finding his target. Um, he Really what he looked like was just a young fighter trying to figure things out still. And the mm -hmm. UFC is just the wrong place to do that. Um, but you can't you can't disagree. Like The kid's got guts. He showed that on the show. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's going to put everything he can in there, but this is just the wrong place to learn. 
Yeah. Jamie Malarkey defeated Michael Johnson. Split decision there. A lot of people thought that the decision was Malarkey. But, uh, you know, I guess maybe what goes. There was 16 in favor of and four against on MMA decisions. A lot of people had Michael Johnson winning it. I remember thinking it could be 2 nothing or 1-1 going into the third. Johnson thought he won rounds one and three. I knew he won round three. I knew one was close, but uh, I, I thought Malarkey was the right call. Like I wasn't too upset. And this is from a guy who wanted Michael Johnson to win. Mm-hmm. I, I thought Michael Johnson won. I didn't think it was an absolute robbery, but I thought I thought it was clear. I, I thought he deserved to win the fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, congrats to Jamie Malarkey for winning that 29-28 split decision. It all came down to round one. Cody, Cody Brundage took care of another guy from that same season of tough 29, I believe. Same as Tercios, Trazion Gore, if you'll recall. Heavy, crazy. heavy puncher who I thought was on his way to a dub because Cody Brundage was starting to, like, uh, tire. And then Cody Gun Brundage dug deep and hit him with a big overhand right and some follow-up ground and pound. Boom. Next thing you know, Gore was out. And now after Gore losing the Brian battle, his stocks definitely declined. And I thought a lot of people were really, really high on this kid. He's got to figure things out. And luckily, he's got the type of style where all it takes is one good KO and, and we're talking about him being back, right? He could do it. But yeah, he definitely has to figure things out because this this is not started off the way he wants. Yeah, and that KO was brutal, man. He was out, out, out. Um, Antonina Shevchenko, she defeated Courtney Casey. Another, another close fight. It was a split decision here. And we you know we mentioned axe kicks earlier. She had one of the nicest axe kicks on, on Courtney Casey. I mean, she caught her right here, man, right on the shoulder blade. It was really, really a beautiful technique, and it came out of nowhere. Um, she did get the W. Her whole team was going nuts. And of course, Valentina just defended her title not too long ago as well in Singapore. So you could just tell, man, those sisters are tight, but Antonina really, really needed this win. I'm not saying she was in danger of a cut or anything like that, but, uh, I think she's about a 500 fighter in the UFC. So you definitely don't want to go into that, into that territory where all of a sudden you do become a, a possible cut yeah you definitely don't want that but she uh it was close man a lot of people thought casey might have won the fight so uh but you got to give her a prop she went in there she did her job yeah both ladies could have done more and so that's why they had to sweat out the decision now casey's 10 and 10 overall casey's lost three of her last four in the ufc and I think she's more, been more on the losing end than the winning end overall in the UFC as well. Let me see. She's got two, five, nine losses in the UFC, three, six wins in the UFC. So she's six and nine in the UFC. She may she may not survive um, that loss. All right, just a couple more here from the Fiziev and Dos Anjos fight card that took place on Saturday. David Onama defeated Garrett Armfield. Kennedy and Chuck Wu defeated Carl Roberson. That was a beautiful KO. And Saeed mm-hmm. Kebab def, uh, Kakramanov defeated Ronnie Lawrence. So those were the uh, three earlier fights on the prelims. Any thoughts there on any of those? You know, I actually like Saeed Yakobu. He, he's fun, man. Um, 
and I'm glad he got the he got the the win. But I don't know. I don't know that anybody really in that group shows like a ton of promise. You know what I mean? And Chuck Wu does look like a beast when he gets you down because he's so tall. He has like this frame where like he almost makes it hard to get off you, man. It almost looks like a policeman detaining a teenager, like just by putting a knee like in your chest. It was really weird when he would get Roberson down. Roberson's a pretty big athlete, you know, He but he looked like he could kind of hold you and dominate you. If he can kind of like round out that game and continue, you know, improving in his stand-up, I think he could be a tough out going forward. But he's got to turn a corner, though. Hmm? He's got to turn a corner, though. Isn't he like 10-3 and three or something like that? And Chuck Wu is 10-3. and three. Uh, He was coming off a couple losses. He did have a three-fight win streak prior to that. One of them was a KO over Olberg, the guy, the big Carlos Olberg guy that, that fights for City Kickboxing. Uh, he's been submitted by Paul Craig. So, yeah, you know, he's about – he's four and three right now. Five and three if you include the Dana White Contender Series. But he definitely has some work to do, I guess, if we want to take him serious. But the African Savage did get the job done on Saturday. And – Finally, we'll end with this. The bonuses went to Jamie Malarkey and Michael Johnson for fight of the night. And performance of the night went to Chase Sherman and Raphael Fiziev. However, there was a lot of decisions. Cody Brundage got a KO stoppage, and Kennedy and Chuck Wu got a, a KO stoppage. There was also a technical submission from David Onama. Well, what makes this different from Singapore, Austin, London, and even two weeks ago, remember when it was Gamrot and Sarukian? They even had an extra bonus that night. Just sometimes the UFC goes, ah, here's more bonuses to all the finishers, or just here's an extra one because we couldn't decide. And on this particular one, they just decided, like, I wish there was some rhyme or reason to that. Now, some might counter and go, well, Singapore was a pay-per-view, you big dummy, and Austin and London was popping. Well, yeah, but that's not the fighters' fault, you know, that they got put on that card. The Apex can still pop. I've heard it pretty loud in there. And but does does the fight is the fight just as exciting as the ones that took place in a crowded stadium? Perhaps. I don't know. But what I would like, what I want to ask you is what if they said no more fight of the night and we're just gonna give every finisher a bonus? Would you be okay with that? No. I think Fight of the Night should stick around. But I think what they should do is instead of being 50000 cut it to twenty five and just give every stoppage a $25,000 bonus. I'm curious how fighters would vote if they would like that or not. Yeah. So keep the Fight of the Night. Because in this case, Barbarina was the winner against oh no 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 i'm thinking about last week against uh robbie lawler this week fight of the night went to fizzy so this week fizzy and sorry Marky beat johnson but he went to a decision so if we got rid of it Malarkey would not get a 50 dollar bonus fifty thousand dollar bonus because he didn't get a finish right and it mm. takes two to tango so i think you should keep that one but make the other ones 25 and just spread it out. See, last week, Barbarina and Lawler had the fight of the night, but Barbarina would go, that's cool with me. I didn't get fight of the night, but I got to finish, so I still get my 50K. Um, 
we're kind of rewarding a guy that lost but was in an exciting fight over someone that finished and won the fight. That's what I'm tripping on. Yeah. No, I mean, that's what I would do. How about this? We'll keep fight of the night. Let's just give everyone 40 grand instead of 50 grand. But if you finish, you're guaranteed you're guaranteed at least the 40 grand. That's what I said. Well, but I made it 25. You went down to 25, yeah. No. I don't want because I think when you go down from 50 to 25, that's half. A lot of fighters might be like, eh, I'm kind of used to getting the 50. There's a lot of guys that have gotten, you know, a dozen bonuses, 10 bonuses. And so they they feel like if I'm on a card, I'm gonna grab one of them bonuses. But I don't know. I think the UFC they they've allowed it to happen. Here's why they do it. The UFC usually gives bonuses to finishers because they say the crowd was roaring, it was rocking, and it seems like wherever they go, they always sell out. And I'm sorry if they're at the apex. That's just the way the way it worked out. But that's the equation. That's the formula. Finish someone, crowd goes nuts, right? Mm -hmm. And because you're in the apex, the crowd can't go nuts. But whoever's in the apex is going to cheer. They're going to go nuts. They're just not going to. They're not going to have the the decibels, the decibel level, I guess, of an Austin or a London or whatever. But the reason that crowd went nuts is because of the finish. We and can see that. So therefore, let's reward all the finishers regardless of what crowd you're in. I could see that happen. In Dublin, Ireland, they're going to go nuts. In Mexico City, Mexico, they're going to go nuts. In Tokyo, Japan, that's a more reserved crowd. They may not go as nuts, but it's still a finish. And if you still kind of got Twitter going, if you still got that reaction from Anik and Rogan and Cormier, you know, where they're all falling all over each other. And, 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 and again, the crowd's just, you know, in hysterics. I think, mm -hmm. I think they should think about that. I, I really do, because now they've kind of been teasing it teasing us a little bit but maybe it's just dana has to be there and he has to make the decision he's on the world's longest vacation he totally missed international fight week i didn't see him here this past week it appears that he was in his house in bangor maine for fourth of july but man that's one hell of a week to take off international fight week that's your own hall of fame that's your own big card of the year like you couldn't just Actually, it took place on the 2nd of July. You still could have went on your private jet and been there in time for the 3rd, the 4th, and just did your vacation afterwards. Like, if you really wanted to do, to do the fireworks, I don't know. I was, I'm was i still tripping over that. Yeah, I don't get that one either. That doesn't really... Something smells off there. Maybe. All right, folks, we're going to get on out of here. Thank you so much for tuning in to Junkie Radio. We'll have another show on Thursday. Well, we'll preview UFC on ABC3. They're in Long Island on Big ABC. And by the way, that's an early start time. They're going at 3 Eastern for the main card, 12 Pacific, and 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific for the prelims on ABC. So to us, that's Channel 13 here in Vegas or in Southern California, Channel 7. That's a big, big deal to be on one of the major networks. Not to say ESPN is not a major network it's a major sports network but abc cbs nbc and fox like those are the monsters so this will be big for the ufc michelle waterson is going to be uh against amanda lemos in that main card that's the one that misha Tate got rerouted to as well right goes i believe so yeah she's fighting um lauren murphy that fight was supposed to be at ufc 276 and that got rerouted to 
Long Island. Unfortunately, there's no Long Island fighters on that fight card, and I thought they kind of missed something there. One, right? I mean, one. they could have put at least Marab Davilashvili or something, but uh, even the Steamroller, he's not on the card either, I don't think. And then, of course, the main event, there, and that's quality there, Ortega versus Rodriguez, but so should be fun. We'll preview that on Thursday. We're going to get on out of here. Go out and be a champion, folks. We'll see you soon. <laughs>